Hoops Adjacent is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NBA ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The GameTime app is so easy to use. It suggests not only sporting events in your area, but also concert and theater tickets. Also, if you're traveling, it's super easy to search events by location. There are even in-app panoramic seat view photos from every section. It's a quick two-tap checkout, so there's no entering new information every time. Head to the App Store or Play Store now, download Game Time, and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. For the win! I think I rap better than Shaq. What is it? Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is. to another edition of Hoops Adjacent. I'm David Aldridge, joined as always from Cali by my man Waz Lambre. Waz, what's up, sir? I'm good, brother. I'm chilling, man. How's everything with you? You, you, man, you a DC champion now. District of champions, baby. We'll talk about that <laughs> in a minute. But yeah, man, it's crazy here in DC. Um, people are going nuts over the Nationals, winning the World Series. Uh, as we take this, I just got back from Houston where I was covering Game 7 for the Athletic DC. Um, had a great time. And we'll talk about that a little later. But it's been, yeah, it's been an amazing couple of months here in DC with the Mystics winning the WNBA title and then the, the Nationals winning the World Series. It's been crazy. That's why I'm, that's why my voice is almost gone as it is because I've just been ripping and running for so long. But um, it's been worth it. It's been worth it. I, I, this is exactly why I wanted to join the Athletic a year ago to not only cover the NBA, but to get to cover other things because I just felt like DC was blowing up and sports-wise, and, and it continues to. So uh, not where not where the Warriors are in terms of championships, but the Warriors may not get there again for a minute here now with this latest thing that's going on with Steph Curry. Um, you know, as we tape this, we don't know exactly how long Steph's going to be out, but certainly if he's got a broken hand – you're going to be out weeks at a minimum, maybe yep. months. Yep. And given how they have looked so far the first week and a half of the season was, shoot, I mean, it's <laughs> it's not looking good for the Dubs right now. Not even not even in terms of, forget contending, just being a, a good team. I don't know if they're going to even be a decent team. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, in our show notes it says, should the Dubs blow this season up already? Um, I think it's blown up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if if Curry misses six weeks, which I guess would take take him into Christmas Day, mm-hmm. um, um, from what I've been reading online, that's about approximately twenty eight games. How many of these twenty eight games could they reasonably expect to win? Four? Yeah. Five? I mean, without without, without I mean, Steph with the group they got. Come on. Now. <laughs> 
the yeah. pits, right? Yeah. So oh, whenever he comes back, the season's going to already be over. So it's not like he's going to come back and they're going to perform at some great level. Like they're, they're performing with Steph. And again, we get, we, you know, caveats that this is only a four game sample, but they're performing with Steph as a sub 500 team, lottery bound team. So without him for 30 games, the season is created. And even when he comes back, they're going to perform at a sub 500 rate. So yeah. the season is over. It's done. It's yeah. blown up. Terrible inaugural season for the ch- the chase um, Taj Mahal. And, um, yeah, I know a lot, you know, if, if the reaction online is any indication, I don't think many people are feeling sorry for the Golden State Warriors today. None. Zero. Zero. <laughs> nobody, nobody is feeling sorry for light years ahead. No, no, <laughs> no. Like, say stuff like that. It comes back to bite you in the ass. And, and then, of course, down. it's the light years. It's the Steph dancing and shimmying. It's, it's the Draymond Green, you know, sneering at everybody and calling out teams and doing all of this, telling people they suck and this, this, that. Um, it's all of those things, the dominance, the arrogance. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess the chickens have come home to roost. Dude, I mean, I mean, look, look, they had a great run. Don't get, yeah. they had the, they earned the right to be arrogant. You know what I'm yep. saying? Like, huh, yeah, they earned that right. And I'm not dogging their hustle at all for that because they have been great. They have helped take this league to yet another level with regard to social media and all that. And the interest of the people having the Warriors, whether you love them or hate them, you watch them. You know what I mean? So or at least you used to watch them. So, um, yeah, it's, there's no question that they, they've earned it, but but that doesn't mean it's not real. That doesn't mean that the that the enmity that a lot of people have for Golden State for a lot of different reasons was, you know, yeah, you know, team light skin too. Come on, oh man, you know, I'm so happy you brought that up, Dave, because this is hoops adjacent, and yeah. people need to understand that that light skin thing and the resentment is real. Um, I, you know, I can remember just watching from afar as this thing blew up in the 14-15 season, yeah. just watching everybody fall over themselves to praise and love Steph Curry. And it just it's something about it just made my skin itch a little bit. It was just like, hold on, like we've had other great, wholesome family men, NBA stars like not everybody's Allen Iverson. Right. right? And not that there's anything wrong with Allen Allen Iverson, by the way. But, like, Steph Curry's not the first God-fearing, wholesome family man. Like, you know, we've had the Grant Hill types. Like, we've had all of these types before. But there was just something a little extra on it with the Steph Curry thing. And you can tell that the players Mm -hmm. can feel it, too. And that's why they were so, you know... They weren't they they just were very apprehensive about praising Steph and all of his accolades because I feel like they felt like Steph was kind of leaning into it, too. I think like, part, I'm yeah. different. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So I guess some players might have felt that way was I never felt that way. Now, I, you know, I can't speak for for other for, for players. I can't speak for them. I think Steph. Steph was viewed as different, number one, because he's a guard and he's yeah. looks more like a normal normal sized person and normal sized people are a lot more they generate a lot more empathy among the fan base than your giants do than your seven footers do right (laughs) so there's just a lot more people that look like that steph curry in terms of height than look like you know Shaq. so (laughs) it's just a no that's part of it 
I think the part, fact that he shot threes the way he did and, and really shot him so You know what we associate with shooting, too. Yeah, for so, for so well, no, true, true, I hear you, but but the fact that he did it from so different, differently deeper than everybody else who's ever done it before. Yeah. I mean, dude was pulling up from 30 and making most of those shots. It just looked different. But there's no question. Well, <laughs> I think some of Steph's some of Steph's popularity comes from the whole, you know, light skin thing. Come on now. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's- I, I remember one word just sticking in my craw specifically, and it was the word relatable. Yeah. They did, like right. people just kept calling right. him relatable. And I was like, well, I'm I'm not I don't get it. Like what what makes him so much more relatable than every other NBA superstar I've seen? I've never heard the word used before. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times, and maybe I'm just sensitive, right? Like a lot of times, and because the media is mostly white and the fan base is mostly white, you know, maybe it's just my own sensitivity. Like I feel like I'm being bludgeoned in the head with that word, right? Yeah. Like, oh, he's relatable or good enough or worthy of prey. That specific type of praise like people like man my kids love i love that my kids love steph curry it was just one of these things i don't know it just it always rubbed me the wrong way and i and you know and i was i was in it enough to know that people were just projecting that upon steph curry right Uh, exactly Um, there's absolutely nothing relatable about steph curry and how special he is he's special and well you (laughs) And you add to that, you add to that, it wasn't just Steph, it was Steph and Clay, it was the Splash Brothers. You yeah. Know? Oh, so you man. were getting stereo, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, man. I just felt like the whole, there was a whole subtext to the to the Cleveland Golden State series. And I remember Rich Paul telling me during the finals, one of the finals, in the year Cleveland won, I think, finally, saying, you know, people in Chicago, they relate to LeBron, they like LeBron. And he didn't have to say anything. Well, I knew exactly what he was saying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> know exactly what he was saying. Well, LeBron blocked Steph's shot out of bounds, and then he gave him that sneer. I knew exactly what that was. Yeah, you know what uh-huh. I mean. So mm-hmm. it was like, wow, wow. Yeah. If y'all only knew what was what this was really about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but to say yeah. all that to say, there's you know, there's a lot of love for Golden State for good reasons, but then there's also a lot of hate for Golden State. Some reasons are good and some aren't, you know, and yeah. some are th- things that we've been trying to work out in our own community for 400 years. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, yeah. So we're still trying to work that out. So just ba- hang with us for another century or two until we get it worked out. We'll figure it out. But, uh, but <laughs> you know. d- 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 just one last thing. I remember, and I'm sure you will too, um, the Pacers had gotten t- into a skirmish with the Warriors at one point and Roy Hibbert was asked about it after the game. He was like, I was just looking for the first light-skinned dude to toss. <laughs> oh man good time and you know and i think next year when clay is back i'm not want to put the dirt or the shovel on these guys as a team that can compete when clay is back and and steph is back and presumably presumably draymond is back um you know i'm one of those people who wouldn't put it past them to trade them this year that's just me. I don't want to be the no, first people to get that going. Yeah. I couldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if Draymond pushed to be moved yeah. because yeah. he doesn't want to play. He's so used to winning and he is an ultra competitive dude yeah. and he'd rather go play for a winner. And the organization be like, mm, maybe that 20 million per isn't yeah. all that appetizing for us anymore. Right. You know, yeah. um, 
So I wouldn't be surprised if Draymond got moved. But I'm just saying to say, like, if those three guys come back next year under reasonable amount of health, right. um, they, they're going to compete. Well, certainly, you know, the, the rumor mill already is starting that they got eyes for Giannis, you know, in 21. So mm -hmm. the only way they could do that realistically to me is to move Draymond this summer and not, you know, mm -hmm. for and to, some, to some team with room that doesn't, <laughs> that's not going to send salary back or at least it's going to send expiring contracts back. So, I mean, you know. There Can are some. Imagine Giannis I, operating in I, that type no, of space. I don't, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> no, just because I feel like it's been the first two weeks of the season. I feel like have been about the hoop. It's been so entertaining just yeah. watching a whole bunch of good teams playing. You know, like. And people actually feeling like, damn, we got to, you know what? We could, we could be competitive this year. Yep. Even the sorry ass wizards that I see on the regular. <laughs> but, but was they play hard, man? They've got yeah. a new kind of attitude about things. They got a whole bunch of young guys. They got some vets that that are doing a good job of leading. I mean, whatever you think. I didn't see a ton of the game they play with Houston. But yep. 159, 158 in regulation? Come on, that's entertaining, man. Yeah, now, you yeah, know, that's, yeah. the purists like me are going to hate it and think it's terrible because there's no defense being played. <laughs> that's what, that's what you know, I think younger consumers and, and certainly teenagers, that's what they like because that's how they play 2K, you know? So, yeah. so those types of games and seeing teams like that, seeing Dallas get off to a good start, you know what I mean? Seeing Phoenix get off to a good start. I mean, I just think... That's nice, yeah. I think people are... People weren't like I always thought it was overblown to people like, oh, nobody's going to watch because the Warriors are so good. No, people love watching dynasties, man. There was literally a show called Dynasty that people watched for 10 yeah. years, you know, <laughs> so they like they like they like seeing successful people, successful teams doing the things that they do. But I think you engage different people when more teams are good. When you have several teams that are that are doing well or at least interesting and kind of fun to watch. So I think it's good. I think it's been a good first two weeks for the league. It's just the culture shock of seeing Golden State, not only in the new building, which is a shock in of itself, but then just getting their doors blown off. Oh, you know, like, wow. Wow. And, and Phoenix <laughs> is missing DeAndre Ayton. It's like, yeah. woo. I know. I, I looked up. I was actually um, – I was actually out yesterday. Um, I was visiting Al Harrington's uh, weed shop, okay, um, and okay. I and I looked up at the highlight show. Not that I smoke. I just wanted to check it. It's like a lounge. It's like a a cigar lounge for weed. It, it's dope. But it gets involved with weed. Said, well, you know, I don't smoke. Like Al, <laughs> I did a, I did a piece on Al because I was very curious about it. And he was into it and he was talking about it and he was saying, you know, I, I never smoke. I never smoke in my life. You know, I never smoke. I didn't. I I got in this because of my grandma. And I'm like, Al, come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. Well, I've smoked weed. Come on now. Well, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the biggest. I am hardly, you know, I'm hardly hood. You know, I'm hardly a hood rat, all right? And I've smoked weed. Don't tell me you haven't smoked weed. Come on now. This is ridiculous. You know, I'm not. 
this story is not, I mean, the story was not about Al Harrington smoking weed. It was about his business. Yeah, he's, he's a weed entrepreneur yeah, now. I mean, he's really put a lot of time and money and effort into 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 a for-profit marijuana business. Yep. But to preface it with, well, I never smoked. I don't, come well, on. yeah, you know, it's, it's just a knee-jerk reaction. You know, it's like, it's like you never want to admit to breaking the law in public. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like a knee jerk. It's just like, you know, not that I was doing it, but yeah, he has like a cigar lounge type of thing, but it's weed, you know, yeah, and they have, yeah. they provide drinks and it's, you know, it's this whole curated experience is really cool on um, what he's doing. And it's right in the heart of Hollywood, like prime location. Mm-hmm. Um, so shouts to and props to Al Harrington. My man Naj is actually one of his um employees over there or his partners over there. And okay. so I went to check them out. That was, it was a really cool experience. Oh, that's that's great. I, I understand we, we have our, our guest is on the line and he's got he's got Halloween duties. So we need to um, we will double back after we talk to John. But when, I'm glad we, we were smart enough to to book John before his boy, Carl Anthony Town, <laughs> knuckled up with, with Joel Embiid. I would I would say I, I was I knew this was going to happen, but I had no idea this was going to happen. John Krasinski joins us from Minnesota. He covers the T-Wolves. He covers the Vikings. He's, he is all things Minneapolis sports for the Athletic Minnesota, Minneapolis. John, thank you for joining us. Man. Hey, come on, DA. You knew this was coming. <laughs> you, know, you, you have that spidey sense in you that just I really man, something's going to pop off. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know Carl was going would be willing to square off like that. You know, much less. Hey, with, you're not alone there. Yeah, I didn't think he had that in him. I just didn't know he had that side to him. So, John, um, if you were at the game, tell me what you saw. And if you weren't at the game, tell me what you thought. <laughs> uh, yes, I wasn't at the game, David. We had a, a, a few other obligations at home. I couldn't make it, but I was regretting it um, <laughs> a, as soon as things jumped off. Thankfully, we have the great Michael Lee, who was able to oh, kind yeah, of fill in for us at so Philly. Did a great piece, um, but he and I had talked before the game, and there was plans to do some sort of examination of the Towns and Bead rivalry. Yeah, and I was going to help him out with context, and we were going to just, you know, make make sure we we did something real nice. But halfway through the game, it was it was not looking good. I mean, it was a it was a bummer. It was just a dud of a game. The Sixers yeah. were were taking control, and then. This popped off. And, you know, I will tell you, knowing Towns as long as I have now for going on going on five years, um, he has had a different mentality at the start of this season than we have seen previously. And there has been a knock on him from Jimmy Butler, from Joel Embiid, from plenty of people around the league saying, hey, this kid is super talented. And can, you know, can get all sorts of buckets, but when you're in a street fight, he's not going to be there for you. And Mm -hmm. I do think that he had kind of got to the point where enough was enough. And yes, I was surprised that he sort of raised up and, and really confronted Embiid. I think there were plenty of teammates. I was able to talk to some teammates and, and some people in the organization after the game about it from afar. And, and, and people were a little surprised that he did it, that he went that far, but people kind of internally in the Timberwolves organization said, you know what? Good for cat. He needed to do this because Embiid had tried to humiliate him plenty of times. And, 
it, it got to be enough was enough. I, I, you know, I got. I, I must tell you, I didn't realize that they had beef with each other going back yeah. a ways. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, they did, and and you know, it was it was kind of this interesting sort of uh, circumstances because Towns and Embiid, they're both CAA, yeah. so um, they got to know each other really well in in the pre-draft, but they had known each other even before that. And and I think they counted each other as friends. And mm-hmm. and Towns certainly thought of Embiid at one time as a friend. Um, and in their first meeting together, Towns really kind of put it on Embiid and, and, and took it to him a little bit. And I think Embiid's competitiveness and his and his juices kind of got flowing. And so he started to take it personally. And yeah. after that. Uh, really, you know, he told Michael Lee that uh, that he he didn't want to allow that to happen anymore, and that he wanted to make sure that he did not like he did initially. He also knows that nations of best big men in the league: Embiid, Jokic, Anthony yeah. Davis, Gobert, yeah. Towns. Like that's the group. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. every time he goes against Towns, he wants to smash him. And Embiid has always been a little bit more willing to get his, the dirt under his fingernails, to get, you know, to, to tweak and to instigate and to push into prod and towns has always tried to rise above that. Well, last night he finally snapped and said, okay, I'm not going to take this anymore and we're going to get into it. John, I want to know what your sense is of how this is playing amongst the Minnesota contingent, right? Like the Minnesota fans, because we already know how this is playing in Philly, right? Like the people mm-hmm. who threw batteries at referees and booed yeah. snowballs <laughs> at Santa Claus and cheered for Michael Irvin leaving on a stretcher. Like we kind of got a sense <laughs> of those people and what they're ultimately about. Like how is this playing in Minnesota though? Yeah, I, I think they are in general encouraged by it. Now, you know, we, we here in Minnesota with our, with our weird accents and our, <laughs> and our hot dishes and, and, and things like that, we were kind of looked at as these sort of quiet and, and reserved, uh, Norwegians and Scandinavians mm-hmm. that inhabit this area, but they do like, when it comes to their sports, they want some spice. They want to throw some uh, some hot sauce on this thing, and they want to get behind people who show passion. And before Jimmy Butler blew everything up here last year, he was popular in Minnesota because he brought an edge and he brought a competitiveness. And they had always really liked Towns for his skills and for the way that he kind of represented himself and always spoke up for Minnesota and and and, and those things, but. I still think that in their heart of hearts, they were kind of wondering if this guy had what it took to try and raise this franchise out of the depths of the Western Conference. And I think seeing him, you know, throw Embiid in a headlock and and push back and and, and tackle him to the ground uh, yet last night, it, it got their juices flowing as well. I mean. Uh, they, they are encouraged. They want to see some fight from these guys. They've been frustrated more so by Andrew Wiggins, but, um, yeah. just kind of waiting for these guys to show some backbone. And this was the first sign of it, even in a loss. I think they, they walked away saying, okay, you know, this guy has, has some pride. And, and I think that when he comes back to Minnesota and when he is introduced in the starting lineup, 
um, he's going to get a bigger ovation than he's ever gotten before. Hey, John, I, I wondered, you know, with Gerson Rosas now being in charge up there, if they, if the new kind of management, if they think any differently about kind of that core group that, that Tom Thibodeau had put together up there, uh, or are they kind of open to any and all suggestions about how to improve that team? Yeah, D.A., I think, I mean, everything's on the table outside of moving towns. Um, yeah. You know, they've already made some pretty wholesale changes, although they're more of the minor strokes. Like, they have eight new faces on this roster from last year. Uh, mm -hmm. You have the, the Jake Laymans and the Jordan Bells and a lot of these guys who are on um, smaller contracts that aren't really reinventing the wheel. But in the summertime, I mean, they explored trying to, trying to trade Gorgie Jang. I think if they had a good offer for Andrew Wiggins, they absolutely would have considered it. Uh, he just his contract and his lack of production has left his, his asking price or excuse me, his market in the league pretty, uh, pretty low right now. Uh, Jeff Teague, if they could have traded him, they would have uh, this summer. And so yeah. uh, I think that you're going to see over the next year still a lot of changes that are, are that are going to be made to this roster. The team that eventually emerges uh, from you know this new rebuild and this new vision that Gerson Rosas and Ryan Saunders are trying to put forth is going to look a lot different from this one right now and certainly almost entirely different from the veteran kind of half-court toughness type of, of a roster that Tom Thibodeau put together. You know, I'm interested in, <clears throat> in how they, they do this because, you know, once you have towns in the fold, you, there's no real way to bottom out, so to speak. Right. <laughs> right, um, right. They have yeah. to figure out creative ways that don't involve, you know, high lottery picks to fill out the roster. You know, it, it's, it's rare that you see the examples around the league, and I don't think these teams get enough credit. Teams like Milwaukee, teams like Utah, who just built, you know, solid, contending, competing teams without ever having to debase themselves and, like, you know, basically forfeit games for three years, right? Um, right. Do we think Minnesota, the management over there, is a creative enough bunch to pull off a Utah or even a Houston and um, Milwaukee type of thing where they've been able to consistently build winners without, you know, going the process route, if you will. Yeah, I mean, that that certainly is their plan, Waz. Um, they hired Gerson Rosas uh, with the idea that coming from Houston and the analytical way that they look at things and sort of the forward thinking and all the, all the labels you apply to Daryl Morey's staff, uh, they want to find ways to outsmart other teams. And, you know, G uh, Gerson Rosa has hired Sasha Gupta from Detroit, yeah. and he's an old Sam Hinkie right-hand man. And so the, the goal of this organization is to find ways to exploit the margins where they can without having to completely bottom out. Because if you bottom out here, for a team that has only made one playoff appearance in the last 15 years and, and is still stinging from the whole Butler mess, boy, uh, that's a really tough sell to this team. And it's a tough sell to your star player. They believe that in Carl Anthony Towns, they have a top 10 talent and you can't completely tear it down to the studs 
when you have a player that good on your roster. So I think their goal is within the next two to three years to be able to make enough changes so that there is a new core around towns that makes them more of a factor in the Western Conference. They're giving themselves that amount of time by year three of this new five-year deal that Towns started, that they're really ready to make a move. Now, it's going to be a little easier said than done because yeah. Wiggins is almost immovable. I mean, they get Teague off of the books after this year, but um, and, and Gorgie Jang is tough to move as well. And so a lot of their big-ticket guys don't have a lot of value. And also, oh, by the way, they're in Minnesota, which never recruits free agents. So. Right. Um, they are really well, when they do, it's Joe Smith and they do it illegally yeah. and lose a bunch of games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I mean, that's what you have to do around here to recruit that way. And so um, it's, they have their work cut out for them that way. And, and it's, it's not going to be easy, but that is the plan is to go try to go that route to not go full Sam Hinky process on it and, and, and just go back into the lottery for, for five or six years. Yeah. You know, uh, John, one of the things that, that Gerson obviously had a great background with coming from Houston was the G league team. Yeah. And I wonder a couple of things. Now they hire Gianluca Pascucci as their, as their GM of the, of their G league team in Iowa. And he's a really smart guy, obviously knows basketball all around the world. Um, he's, he's a really, really sharp guy. Um, but I always wondered, like, geographically, you know, most G League teams are within an hour's drive yeah. <laughs> of the of the team or they're in the same city as that team. How do they manage or how do they propose maybe, I don't know, I don't know if there's anything you can do. I mean, I'm, right. it's not like it's six hours away, but it's not like you can just get in the car and drive up or drive down from Iowa to Minnesota. Right. It's it's about a four hour drive to Des Moines, uh, David. And and they did when they were looking at uh, their options for G League locations, they tried to find something closer yeah. and to see if there was a more viable thing so they could have it more in their backyard. And it was you know, it was geographically just closer so that guys could run back and forth a little bit easier, you know, especially here, David, in the wintertime. You know, it's an easy drive in the summer. Like it's really not bad. Three hours, four hours. And it's not bad. You can do it. But in the wintertime, you don't want to be doing that. You got to be flying down there. So um, which is hard also in the winter. That is hard also in the winter. And Mm -hmm. they I I think ultimately it came down to they saw an opportunity in Des Moines to be more than just like uh, this this entity that makes that. You, you pour money into and don't get anything out of. They think there can be a little bit of a financial component in, in Iowa that helps them. And they also believe that it's close enough that it's not prohibitive from a travel standpoint. But there is no question that after it was kind of an afterthought in the Thibodeau regime where they just worried about veterans and they, yeah. they didn't really worry about developing young guys down there. Rosas and, and Gianluca Piscucci and Sammy Newman Beck, who's the coach down there, yeah. they really want to make it like a Petri dish type of a situation where they try different things down there very much like Rio Grande is to Houston. And so mm-hmm. right. they're investing in it. They want it to be a big part of it. But yeah, the, the ge- geography of it is not you know perfectly ideal for sure. So, John, how do how do we feel about 
you know, we know where Towns stands. Obviously, he's a franchise, the centerpiece, all of that. Like, that goes without saying. Wiggins is Wiggins, right? <laughs> um, what about the other pieces, right? Because um, I've talked to a couple of people, like, really smart people around the league who are obsessed with Covington. Yeah. Just, like, yeah. they just think his value is enormous, um, as far as like what he brings to the defensive table, that he's like a generational defender. This is what like I've heard. Like he's one of the most valuable pieces out there in the league. Um, do, does the organization view him as such? Well, yeah, was. Um, I'll tell you. You know, I've covered this team for 15 years, and they have almost always been terrible defensively. But mm. in those 20 games that Covington played in after the trade last year. Um, and, and well, he, when he came over from Philly, he was so dominant defensively yeah. and the team was top 10, like top eight defensive mm-hmm. efficiency in those, in that small sample size. It was like nothing I had ever seen in a Timberwolves uniform wow. uh, dating back to the KG prime. Wow. Uh, you know, it, it, I mean, it was remarkable the effect that he had. And so yeah, I think that that the evaluation of him as a legitimate defensive player of the year type of a guy, yep. it, that that's that's real. Um, I don't think that's hyperbole at all. Now, he early on in this season is still working his way back from that long absence of the knee injury. So he's not all the way back yet. But yeah, okay. number one, he's great defensively. Number two, he hits threes and not many people on this team can hit threes. Mm-hmm. Number three, his contract is great. Yes. He's making like $13 million a year. That's a steal for yep. him right now. That's below it's, average for a starter wing of his without caliber. Question, without yeah. question. And so that's why the interesting thing for them will be he is the one tradable asset on their team that could bring back a return that, you know, is actually worth making a deal for. But Perhaps D'Angelo Russell? <laughs> maybe. maybe um, you know, but on the other hand, what the other thing they have to factor in is he and Towns are incredibly close. Yeah. Um, they, mm. you know, Covington has been integral in sort of this new Towns kind of coming to the forefront and being more of a leader. Uh, he certainly is a huge help to Towns defensively. So if you're going to make a move like that, that you have to factor all of these political ramifications and in addition to what you would lose from a financial and just a production standpoint. So the, the, what they'll ultimately have to ask themselves is, do they believe in three years when they think they're really ready to make their move in the Western conference is Covington, a major part of that roster. And maybe he is, maybe he isn't. If they think that, you know, maybe the, the knee is going to be a thing for a while and, and you can kind of recoup uh, a pretty big haul for him while he's still healthy, they'll probably consider it, but they, they would have to do it with trepidation just given how close he is to Towns and how impactful he can be when he's up and rolling. Yeah, I just can't figure out any other way they could get. Whether Covington would wind up in Golden State or not, you could do a three-way and winds up somewhere else. But right. I don't know how else they can even think about getting Russell if they're, if they're still interested in Russell. Of course. Like, how would you do it otherwise? Yeah. Yeah. With their yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Golden State is not taking Wiggins, right? No. I mean, they're, they're not, yeah. they're, they, they're not going to be interested. And you just have to get 
a chunk of salary just to make the salaries even come close to matching. So you would think that Covington would have to be involved in that type of a deal. Now, the one thing that they do know that they really need more than anything right now is a point guard of the future, Uh, (laughs) a young guy who's dynamic can run the pick and roll can hit shots. That's why they went so hard after D'Angelo in the summertime and they were heartbroken when they missed on him. They thought that they really had him. They really thought he was locked up and they were going to get him and they don't. And now, yeah, if they want to go back in and try to do it, if Golden State is going to is going to bottom out with Steph out or whatever, um, you know, it's going to be hard to get him without including Covington. I would think almost impossible. I'm glad you brought um, this point guard of the future issue up because I'm actually somebody who's been an irrational Jeff Teague fan yeah. um, for yeah. a long time. Like, like Jeff his, yeah. Me too. Um, and But when they brought him in, right, they bring him into a situation where it's like him, Jimmy Butler, Wiggins, yeah. and Towns. And it's like, what is Jeff Teague really supposed to do on that kind of team? Back in his Atlanta days, he was a guy who could blow by pretty much anybody in the league and get into the lane and make trouble for defenses. It's almost like he just doesn't even look at the rim anymore um, nowadays. I, what, do you, what do you think that is? Is it the injuries catching up to him? It feels like he's a much worse player than he was back in his Atlanta days. Yeah, I think was that uh, the injuries certainly play a part in it last year, especially. He had been very durable before last year and just had a bunch of ankle and leg injuries that did slow him down. And also I do think it was, there were some problems with the system fit. I mean, you kind of getting into it when, when it was Jimmy Butler here, Jimmy was running the show and it was a lot of isolation and letting Jimmy go to work on the perimeter and Teague would sort of stand outside and maybe wait for a kick out and an open three pointer or something like that. That's not really his game. Uh, He needs to be a guy that has the ball in his hands, that he can penetrate, use his speed and his quickness to get to the rim, collapse defenses, and either find people on the perimeter or score himself. And one thing that also made it hard on him was that they don't have any shooters here besides Towns, really, so that when he, um, you know, would drive the lane and kick out to Wiggins or kick out to um you know any of these other guys that were catching and shooting they they weren't capable of knocking down shots like the Atlanta guys were and so it just it hasn't been a good fit for him and now they've kind of morphed to a more up tempo fast pace run and gun shoot a bunch of threes system that doesn't really fit him as much either and they are going younger again and Teague needs to be on a team that is kind of built for a playoff run right now. And so I do think that they will continue to explore moving him if if a team has an injury at point guard or he'd work, he'd or work like wonders that. on the Lakers, but they, for they, sure. yeah, right, right. Yeah, Nothing. exactly. He'd be perfect there. But <laughs> um, but yeah, like I do think that that Teague has not had the the right opportunity to showcase what he can really do, just given all of the parts around him both uh, during the Jimmy Butler era and now post-Jimmy Butler. John, you wrote a a great piece. I highly recommend it uh, in The Athletic about Ryan Saunders Mm -hmm. uh, and his his working his way through, you know, immeasurable grief. And I must tell you, I'm still grieving the loss of Flip Saunders. I mean, I still have the— the last time I saw him, he gave me a, one of those military 
coins and he said, look, the next yep. time I come to DC, you got to buy me a drink, you know? And I don't <laughs> yeah. know, he did that with a lot of people and I get it, but it's, it still felt like he was only talking to me, you know? I mean, yes. this is what, he just had that kind of personality <laughs> and it was just such a great piece. And I'm just so interested in how, how Ryan, cause Ryan, obviously when he was here with flipping DC with the wizards, uh, you know, you got to know him a little tiny bit, right. um, just to see him kind of grow into this role. That's really, it's kind of a, a combination of, of, you know, his father's best attributes, but him becoming his own man. And I just wonder what you thought, what you think of him seeing him in that role that, that was so, so identified with what his father did for the franchise. Yeah. It, I mean, it is remarkable to see David. I mean, you know, you and I, and, and was you too, like we, we've seen, coaching sons come up through the ranks, mm-hmm. right? J.B. Bickerstaffs and uh, Mike Malone's and, and a lot of these guys kind of follow in their father's footsteps and, and, and try and, 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 and be the head coach of a team. But to have it be uh, this, this team, to coach his father's team, four years after his father tragically passed away, and was turning this franchise around and and how it just gutted the Timberwolves and, and losing Flip, losing their leader, losing their their chief politician, losing their their biggest fan, like all of that stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, it was heartbreaking. And to see how quickly now it, you know, you went through the Tibbs era that didn't work and was, you know, roundly miserable for three years. And now Ryan has come back in and is taking control of it. It that that kind of scenario just is very unique in this league. And you do sometimes just kind of, you know, pinch yourself and be like, wow, I'm really watching this happen. This is really unfolding right in front of my eyes. Because DA, you watch Ryan and you look at old clips of flip and they mm-hmm. are the same. I yeah. mean, yeah. same speech patterns same you know flashy suits uh, mm-hmm. ryan will kind of tweak his neck you know just kind of turn his neck the way that flip always did like it it's remarkable how similar they are but i think you hit on the key point is that we all know how much how highly ryan thought of his father we all know that they were best friends and that he really patterned his life after his dad but now that he is in this position it is so key that he is his own man and that he goes his own way a little yeah, bit. And, right. and what, and we're seeing that already systemically with all the threes, with the fast pace flip was a mid range guy. He was, you know, kind of a half court oriented coach and, and Ryan is deviating from that. And, and so there are little signs that say that Ryan, while he wants to carry on his father's legacy, also yeah. understands he's got to be his own man. And and I think that's going to be huge if he's going to be a success in this job. Well, John, man, this is great stuff. I know you got to take small people out to get candy now. So <laughs> I do, man. I got a stormtrooper and a and a Minecraft character waiting on me. So uh, love it, love we it. We are going to lay siege to the uh, Minneapolis suburbs here. So there you go. Bring the soap and the eggs, man, because you know something <laughs> be stingy. You never Thank know. You never John. know. John, thank you for your time, man. I think the Wolves are going to be an, a very fascinating, not just team this year, but franchise going forward. I think they got a chance. Uh, you know Gerson. He's a very smart guy, and he's a very driven guy, and I think he's going to figure some things out up there. 
No doubt. It, it, it's promising early. And, and as we saw last night, even when they lose, it's interesting. So, uh, <laughs> so I appreciate you guys both having me on. Love your show. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Later, John. Thanks. All right, guys. Do you ever sit down to a full slate of games and then by halftime of the first game, you realize you haven't game planned for dinner? With only 15 minutes during halftime to make or find food, good options are limited, but not with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city right at your fingertips on the DoorDash app. Why eat peanut butter sandwiches or microwave leftovers when you can have restaurant quality food delivered right to your door so you don't have to miss a second of basketball? The app is easy to use and right now our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code HOOPS. Don't forget, that's promo code HOOPS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Man, the great John Krasinski. He is, he is, uh, he's as good. And I didn't get to talk to him about the wool, about the uh, Vikings because he covers the Vikings too. So he does it all. Oh, man. I didn't know John was on Vikings duty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He'll do some Vikings. He got kids. He got. Andrew Wiggins and right. the Vikings. That's just a lot he got of work. Kirk, he got Thielen, Yellen, and Kirk Cousins. You know, he got all of that. <laughs> yeah, he don't stop. He don't stop. But man, you were. We were going to start talking before we brought John in, and we were going to start talking about a little bit about um, uh, the. Oh, I know what I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, and no Russell in your style rankings and your no, first. Oh, yeah, no yeah. Russell. Tell people what you're st- about your NBA style rankings and and what you're going to do with those every week. Okay, so you know, I I, I came up with the idea. I was kind of kicking it around because I wanted to do a weekly series about something. You know, just something that I could chew on every week and just to put something out, and I could constantly be thinking about. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do an NBA style power rankings because I'm, I don't want to call myself some kind of <laughs> fashionista, or whatever. Right. But I pay, <laughs> but I pay attention to clothes, like I do, like yeah. um. Not that I try to get dressed up all the time, but I pay attention to what people are wearing. And as you know, David, like these guys are obsessed with what they wear. Like they are just so obsessed with it. And, you know, frankly, it's gotten them deals. It's gotten them attention. It's gotten them all kinds of things like actually embracing this fashion stuff. And so I decided to do the power rankings and the initial power ranking, David, like how I came up with my list. It's sort of like and I explained it a little bit in the piece is like. A college football ranking, right? Like week one of college football is like, this is how we expect things to shape out throughout the course of the season. Of course, favorites will fall. Dark horses will emerge. (laughs) But, you know, this is how I envision it going throughout the season and going forward. People will rise and fall based on what they're doing, um, what they're wearing to games or even to events, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And that's basically the general uh, principle. Now, um, a lot, a lot of the people like that, that were quote unquote glaring omissions, like, like you mentioned Russell Westbrook, like you mentioned Serge Ibaka, like yeah. you didn't mention, but people in my comments mentioned Serge Ibaka. Yeah. Those people. Okay. So the reason why the difference between Russ and Rudy Gay is that when Rudy Gay is wearing clothes, 
it doesn't seem like it's Halloween every day, right? <laughs> like he's not, it's, he's not playing dress up. Right, he's right, right. putting clothes on. Some of it might be outlandish to some every now and again, but he's comfortable in what he's wearing. Yeah. Um, it's sort of this thing like, it's like when I wear a suit, for instance. Like, I don't mm. like dressing up in a suit. Like, I'm like fidgety. I'm itchy. I'm constantly like, all right, is the, are the sleeves right? Are the this right? Like, you can tell like I'm uncomfortable yeah. in what I'm wearing. Oftentimes when you see Russ wearing those weird ass things to games, um, he looks like he knows he shouldn't be wearing this stuff. <laughs> He's just doing it to get looked at. Like, that's the difference. So those type of people, people like Dame Lillard, people like um, Rudy, are going to get prioritized on my list because mm -hmm. personal style is about basically it's comfort. It's an expression of oneself, not just, you know, uh, putting on a costume. It's like you're saying something about yourself with what you wear, right? Yeah. Um, okay. a lot of times people are just wearing masks mm -hmm. and I don't, you know, I just personally don't go for that. So that's why Russ didn't make my initial list. Um, Sergi Baca, um, David, you are a little bit too young for this demo, but there's a big brunch, black upper, like black, black yuppies essentially in DC. There's a big brunch crowd on yes. the weekends. I know this because I have friends in DC and all of that yes, stuff. Yes, yes, um, <laughs> I know and basically, you, okay. you know what I'm talking about. And, <laughs> and basically, that's how Sergi Baca dresses, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he dresses like he's going to a brunch in D.C. Also, he dresses like literally every single upwardly mobile immigrant that I've ever met, right? Like, my parents are immigrants, my aunts. I have older cousins who moved here at the age of, like, 12. Like, mm -hmm. Sergi Baca dresses exactly like every single upwardly mobile black immigrant, whether it be West Indies or West African that I've ever met. And I'm just like, eh, I'm good. Like the weird hats and the, <laughs> you know, like the suits and all of that. It's just like, that's, that's not for me. Well, I was thinking you could go, you could like, you could put it on its ear, like put Tim Duncan in your stylist. Cause he, <laughs> he, he wears comfortable clothes. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. But listen, so Tim Duncan used to be a real frumpy cat. Then he got divorced. He got a new girl. And all, right. all of a sudden, his shirt started yeah, actually... Ah. <laughs> right. Shirt started fitting right. Haircuts right, 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 right. the shape up in the line. <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? Right, right. No, no, and, you're right. You know, and, you know, the thing is, we're trying to have fun with it. And again, like, I know... And the main thing is that I know these guys obsess over these things, right? So that's why I think our readers and stuff should care a little bit. Because, like, the players themselves... They know what other people are wearing. They hire professional wardrobe consultants. Like, they are 100% committed to how they look when they leave the house. Um, so, you okay. know, we're going to do this. Um, I've already had an agent reach out to me via back channels, got my phone number and suggested one of his guys should be, you know, considered. Yeah. Like, if yeah. you haven't been considering him, you should consider him for next week. Right. Um, yeah, so we already... We already causing some rumblings here. Man. Oh my god! Well, you're right. I mean, the style piece is so it's so central now to the NBA. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it is completely as important to the whole vibe as twi NBA Twitter and all the other stuff that people know. You know that they identify with the league with. It's it is amazing to me how seriously. Guys like PJ Tucker take the shoe game and things like that. Like this is a big part of who they are. And 
Um, I think you've I think you've hit on something because you, if you are going, especially if you're doing it differently than just kind of like you know here are the normal people that always get on you know right. list all the time. If you, if you pluck out different people and explain why, it could be interesting. And um, you know, and you know what what's interesting to me too, Dave, is like where we've come from. You know, after Malice in the Palace, Stern and and his cronies decide. We need to we need to button this thing up, yeah. literally, right? And you know, it was racially problematic at the time to be telling yep. these black dudes, yep. these successful black dudes, to pick their pants up and all of that. Um, yep. to see where we've come full circle now, where these guys are actually being clapped for, mm-hmm. you know, what they wear to these games. You know, it's pretty cool to see. It, it is. A, it will be a great 30 for 30 to hold just the dress code. I'm not even talking about the malice at the palace, what they've already done, but the the dress code and just the whole backstory to that is just unbelievable. You know, the fact that they consulted with, you know, Republican pollsters and people like that when they thought about putting. Oh, this I didn't even know about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it was a whole was it was a whole. You know, even even beyond the racial, it was the political piece to it, too. And it was like, wow, you know, the NBA, really? Y'all are talking to, you know, Matthew Dowd and people like that. Come on, man. What is what are you talking? What are you doing? You know, <laughs> um, so it was yeah, it was a, it was quite a time. It was quite a time because, you know, <laughs> my favorite was my all time favorite. Um, and I had actually wrote one of my first pieces for the company was about the NBA dress code in this very topic. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite quotes back at the time was Marcus Camby saying, well, they're going to have to give me a stipend. <laughs> <laughs> I need a, clo- a clothing allowance. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus Camby was making like nine million a year exactly. at the time. Exactly. That's uh, <laughs> when keeping it real goes wrong. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh man! So yeah, I would encourage people to check it out. It's gonna we're gonna put it out every Tuesday because the season started on Tuesday, so we're just gonna make it a weekly thing every Tuesday and just you know try to have fun with it. Maybe open people's eyes to some players who are doing some fun stuff. Who, like you said. Um, don't, you know, get as much attention for it. Um, I've already come up with some, I'm thinking about naming the list. I've, I've, I've come up with some different things in my mind just to keep it funky, have a little fun with it. And, um, you know, hopefully it gets some traction. I've already, I've already lined up some people who I'm like, yeah, I'm going to need you to, <laughs> you're popular. I need you to promote this. We're doing it. We're doing all of that. last thing because I know you need to go um, and I need to watch more videos of the Nats winning the World Series again is the Nats winning the World Series <laughs> and how I now reside in the District of Champions it's not DC is not District of Columbia anymore and just uh, how crazy it is to be in a city that had next to no pro sports success it was all about college basketball in DC for a very long time and the Redskins that was it <laughs> That was it for about 30 years. <laughs> that was really it. Um, and then to just see the city kind of evolve to, you know, the Caps winning a cup in 2018 yeah. and then winning the WNBA title this year. And what's been fascinating to me about it, and I might write about this, is this whole idea of 
you know, what's a real team and a real sport and all this sort of thing. Because you still got all these cavemen that comment. It doesn't matter what I say, what the context is. You know, I wrote a piece about the Nats be, you know, winning a championship uh, in October the same way the Mystics did because that's when champions are crowned sort of, you know, and just it was a throwaway line and had all the burn, all the bras and, and you know, just – the ridiculousness coming out about it's not a real sport. I'm mean, like, are y'all still, y'all are still on this? Really? I mean, you know, and so it's, it wasn't just that, but it was the Caps winning a title in D.C. And D.C. has changed, Waz. It's not the D.C. I grew up in. It's just not. It just isn't. And that's a whole nother show. But I thought oh, it you was... you mean it's not Chocolate City anymore? Uh, that's gone. <laughs> that's gone, bro. <laughs> Vanilla Latte City? <laughs> Exactly. My my city's gone, man. But it was, but I thought one of the most important things that made the Caps winning the title something that everybody in DC could get behind was the fact that Devontae Smith Pelly was on the team. And not only was he on the team, he had a huge role during that cup run. Like he scored like six goals in the, in the cup finals. And you had people going, there's a brother named Devante on the Capitals. Let me watch this a little bit, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and so they were able, and so people in DC got into it a little bit. And it's the same with the Nets. I think it's very important that not only do they have Howie Kendrick, who, you know, an African American who had a game winning home run, series winning home run last night, but also the the Latino influence of, you know, Juan Soto, who's a superstar, you know, a young budding superstar, and Victor Robles. And the veterans like Gerardo Parra, I mean, they gave that clubhouse a flavor and some energy that they have not had. And so that's why these things are important to cities like mine, yeah. is that when everybody feels like they can be part of it, part of it. Yeah. it has a much deeper meaning to more people than just the hardcore baseball fans or the hardcore hockey fans or the hardcore WNBA fans. When everybody sees people that look like them, you get into it a little bit more, you know, and you feel Amen. a little bit more affinity for it. Hey, man, you know, you know, you know I'm so happy you said that. And um, you know what you, that just reminded me of? Um, and it's going to make you laugh, but it reminded me of Lynn Sanity. Um, oh, not that the Knicks won a championship, oh, but the yes. amount of people, because the Knicks is kind of the one through way through the entire New York City as much yeah. as the Nets whatever nets it's yeah. the Knicks right like that's right. universally the team because yep. there's two football teams and two basketball teams and then there's the Knicks yep. and I I can tell you David when I, I I was I was dating a girl who lived in this section called Williamsburg in Brooklyn right. which is like hipsterville mm-hmm. and me and her were big hoop fans so like every Sunday whenever the Knicks had a matinee we would go to this one local bar and watch you know basketball yeah. Uh, and then during insanity, like you normally this bar is just regular. It was packed and it was, yes, yeah. it was a lot of people of Asian descent there. Yeah. Yes. It was a lot that you wouldn't normally see, which I thought was fantastic, but it was just generally everybody got engulfed in that. So like, we're just saying about this team, it rings true to me because I saw it in New York. Yeah, like New Yorkers are like the most cynical, oh, I'm cool right, in right. school, everything. <laughs> but they were just loving this moment and everybody yeah. could be a part of it. So, man, that's so cool. Yeah, um, it's, one it's, last thing I wanted to ask you, yeah, though, because you, yeah. you said, um, you know, the whole D.C. is going crazy. Like the Nats are a relatively new team. Like they moved from right. Montreal yeah. and became the, um, the Nationals. 
Um, are they like a are, are they have they been like fully embraced and integrated in the city? Yeah, they have. And and I think part of the reason is, you know, is, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, the, but the biggest reason is that, you know, we didn't have baseball for 33 years in the district after the senators moved to Texas in 1971. And so that was a part of us that was always I mean, I grew up without baseball. You know, I grew up as a young child into a teenager, into an adult with no baseball team to root for. You know, and that, you know, is sort of like the Orioles, but I wasn't like, and I wasn't like nah. crazy about the Orioles nah. or go to, go to 40 games a year. And none of that People nonsense. don't know the D.C. and Baltimore like oh, it's Baltimore, it's Baltimore a thing. Baltimore us. <laughs> we're, not, we're not buddies. No. <laughs> so. So, yeah, you know, so that so from that standpoint, even though they're a relatively new team in terms of just getting here to D.C., the fact that we haven't had baseball for so long makes it feel like it's been longer than 15 years since they've been here. And certainly the the failures that they've had, you know, for the previous seven years, losing in the first round and not getting out of the first round, just, you know, and then Bryce Harper leaves you and you're just like, wow, (laughs) And, and for them to win a World Series the year after Bryce Harper left them, for the team in their division that's closest to them, you know, it's just it's just remarkable. It's sports, man. It's why I love sports, because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what will happen when people start believing for real, for real. And and great and great and incredible things can happen when a group of people really believe in each other, and that's what happened with the Nationals. So, hats off to the Nationals, man! What an accomplishment! What a what a story! It's been great. It's been great covering it. So, congrats uh, to you and congrats to the whole city, Dave. Yeah. So so that's so that's it for us this week, and we will be back next week with another episode. Uh, tell all your friends about it. You know where to find us on the usual suspects on the Back to Back Podcast Network. And um, tune in, leave reviews, let us know what you think. Later. That was fantastic, y'all. Later. Sure. Okay, well, see you.